0: Hello, we're halfway through our present series of studies today here on Search for Truth. Search for Truth is your Bible teaching programme with your Bible teacher Brian Johnston, who is engaged in an eight-part study of the Book of Romans. He's called these studies, Putting the Gospel First, and so far we've looked at Condemnation, then Justification, and this time it's Sanctification. And now here's Brian with today's study. Thanks, John. The fourth section of the Apostle Paul's
1: letter to the Romans that we now come to study is the one we're entitling Sanctification. We'll come to see this as two parts. In one sense, it's already complete in Christ. But for the other part, it's an ongoing process in Christian living. Paul's treatment of this topic of sanctification takes us from the beginning of chapter 6 right through to about halfway down chapter 8. The start of chapter 6 is clearly dealing with sanctification, that is with holiness, because here Paul is responding to those who objected against what he was saying by saying to Paul, we might as well go on sinning if we're already assured of God's forgiveness. Although this topic starts, as we say, at chapter 6, its roots go back to where we've already been studying Perhaps, then, it's worthwhile to make a couple of linking observations from chapters four and five. This will allow us to catch up with the two illustrations we anticipated from our previous study. First, in chapter four, our attention has just got to be grabbed by the repetitive use of the word credited. It occurs five times within nine verses. It's a word that can be translated credited or counted or imputed. To credit someone means to put something in someone's account. God took Abraham stargazing one day when he was already an old, childless man and told him that his descendants would be as numerous as the stars. Against all the odds, Abraham believed God's word to him and his faith was credited to him as righteousness. To credit or impute righteousness is to set righteousness to one's account and to treat him accordingly. Whereas, of course, to impute sin is to lay sin to the charge of someone and to treat him accordingly. It's helpful to get a secure grasp of those two credits into our account because they link together the two illustrations Paul draws out from the lives of Abraham and Adam. We're talking, of course, about Adam, the very first human. The doctrine of the imputation of Adam's sin means that when Adam first sinned, that sin and its blame was regarded by God to be our sin as well. It counted against us. Adam's sin became our sin and his judgment became our judgment. Beginning at Romans chapter 5, verse 12, Paul teaches that we all sinned in Adam when through one man sin entered into the world. He adds that while people sinned personally in the time before Moses, their personal sins were not the ultimate reason why people died in that time period. The actual reason they died was because they'd all sinned in Adam. We learn from this that death is not first and foremost because of our own individual sinning, but because of our union with Adam, the federal head of the human race. His sin was credited to our account. To underline this point, in verses 15 to 18 of Romans 5, Paul says no less than four times that death and condemnation comes upon all humans because of, quotes, the one transgression of the one man, end quote. We are identified with Adam such that his one sin is regarded as our sin and we are worthy of condemnation for it. This is the sin of the world that would be taken away by the lamb of god to sum it up paul says in verse 19 through the one man's disobedience the many were made sinners this is talking very plainly about how adam's one original sin counts against us all adam is the only person in the bible explicitly declared to be a type that is a prophetic symbol of christ never dismiss the old testament The grandeur of the gospel takes us right the way back to the Bible's first book and to history's very first character. Whereas Adam walked in disobedience to the tree and his sin counted against us all, Christ walked in perfect obedience to the tree or the cross where he took away that sin of the world. That which had entered the world through Adam and the guilt thereof was taken away by the last Adam for all. This is the singular sin of the world relating to the root sin condition of humanity as per the biblical doctrine of original sin. We now come to Romans chapter 6 and just as in Romans 5 verse 12 where sin is quite literally this sin we find it's the same as we go into Romans chapter 6 where it's strictly speaking this sin that continues to be mentioned for example in verses 2 and 7 speaking of Christian believers Paul says that in Adam we sinned to death, but in the last Adam, who is Christ, we died to sin. Specifically, following on seamlessly from chapter 5, this seems to be a reference to the dead root of our sin nature. We may view it as withering away, yet still capable of bad fruit. But since we now possess a new nature, and since we're now a new person in Christ, we need no longer to be mastered by it but rather we should be the one mastering it. And this is precisely where our sanctification comes into focus. The end of chapter 5 sees sin reigning as king. Sin is personified since it reigns as king, and this can only be referring to the evil nature still resident in the Christian, as we've thought. The logical argument of Romans chapter 6 that follows on from this is that sin should no longer reign as king in our mortal body such that we obey its lusts. This is because the Christian believer, seen in union with Christ, is counted by God as having already actually died with Christ, so that our body of sin might be made powerless. We've been freed from sin, but we're not free from the effects of our fallen nature. Even before Adam sinned, human freedom was not absolute liberty, for that can only be true of God. God is the only being who is not influenced by anything outside of himself. In contrast, God's dependent creatures can only, in the nature of things, have limited freedom, even if real. Adam's sin was, or it at very least involved, the desire to increase his real freedom to be absolute freedom like that of the Creator. Sadly, things went in the opposite direction for our freedom is now additionally without the moral ability to choose for good or for God. Adam before the fall had both the ability to sin and the ability to not sin. After the fall, the moral condition of original sin that applies to us all is tragically the inability to not sin. That's not to say we've lost free will. After the fall, we still have a will that's free in the sense that it isn't coerced by any external agency. We still have the ability to make choices according to our own desires. But now, however, the human will is in a state of corruption. We are still free to do what we want, but the problem lies in what we want. We lack the freedom to do or choose good as well as evil. Our freedom was never absolute, but additionally we are now in bondage to our corrupted nature. The big issue is how a person can regain liberty. That is the moral ability to choose what's good, to choose the things of God. The liberation of fallen humanity absolutely requires God's grace. Jesus said, if the Son makes you free, you will be free indeed. The teaching of sanctification that's found in Romans chapter 6 through 8 is that we, who are believers in Christ, are not the persons we once were, We, that is, our old self, our old persona, died with Christ. We died to sin in the death of Christ. As a result, sin is no longer king of our lives. But Jesus is our Lord. He's now the king of our lives. Having died to it, we are freed from sin. But at the same time, we are not free to please ourselves. Just as God counts us as having died to sin in the death of Christ... We're to count, that same word again, we're to count ourselves as dead to sin day by day. The first part of that is what God does, our once-for-all sanctification. The second part is what's our daily responsibility. This is what Paul sees as being our duty. Romans 6 from verse 11. Consider yourselves, he says, to be dead to sin, but alive to God in Christ Jesus, Therefore sin is not to reign in your mortal body so that you obey its lusts. And do not go on presenting the parts of your body to sin as instruments of unrighteousness, but present yourselves to God as those who are alive from the dead and your body's parts as instruments of righteousness for God. For sin shall not be master over you, but thanks be to God that though you were slaves of sin, you became obedient from the heart to that form of teaching to which you were entrusted. The full logic of this chapter is, you're not the person you once were. Therefore, don't live as you once lived. But that's hard to do in our own strength. Worse than that, it's impossible. For Paul himself illustrates that in chapter 7, where he admits, I am not practicing what I want to do, but I do the very thing I hate. But now, no longer am I the one doing it, but sin that dwells in me. For the good that I want I do not do, but I practice the very evil that I do not want. But if I do the very thing I do not want, I am no longer the one doing it, but sin that dwells in me. This problem of indwelling sin can only be overcome by the help of the indwelling Spirit of God. Then we arrive at the point where we can say that the requirement of the law might be fulfilled in us who do not walk according to the flesh, but according to the Spirit.
0: I hope you enjoyed today's study talk, and I'd like to remind you that there's a transcript book of all the talks in this series, which would be helpful if you want to pursue further study. So please let me remind you again how you can freely receive a copy. First, it's available online, and you can obtain it by downloading a copy from churchesofgod.info forward slash media. Another way is that you can write to us and request a hard copy book be posted to you. Just ask for the title, putting the gospel first and don't forget to include your postal address so we know where to send it. And you can use email or you can write to us by post and here's our address. Search for Truth, Hayes Press, The Barn, Flaxlands, Royal Wooten Bassett Swindon SN four eight U K. Our email address is SFT at churches of God. info. Now, did you know that by going to www dot search for dot podbean dot com, you can actually download the programs onto your own device and you can re listen to them at some more convenient time. Now Once again, many thanks for the privilege of your company today and many thanks for giving us your time. Next week, God willing, we have part five in this eight-part series and it's called Glorification. So do join me if you can, same time, next week. But for now, it's goodbye and very best wishes from our Bible teacher, Brian, our producer, David, our singers and me, John. See you again soon. And in the meantime, we wish you God's richest blessings.